Good morning, everyone. Claire and Sarah are going to start today. Gather together in love. Gather together in anticipation. Gather together in the mystery. Gather together in the power. Our chalice lights our path. Thank you both very much. Now, I've got a story today, but it's not a telling story, it's a reading story, so it's a kind of different type, and it's also one of those stories that's got these really fantastic images. And so I could do that whole kind of, you know that literacy thing when you were like in infants and you had to sit on the carpet and the teacher would go, and now look at this page. <laughs> but I, I, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> patronise the adults, I'm not prepared to patronise the children. That's not fair. <laughs> <Well>. <laughs> the pictures are very amazing and I'm going to send the book off with Peter and Jim so the children can you know, have a shifty at it and it's um, been around in the lounge and you know, by all means have a look at it. It's called Becoming Me and it's a story of creation. And it starts, as all good stories should, once upon a time. Once upon a time, I was. There was nobody who knew that I was. But I was. I liked to make myself into different shapes, lots of different shapes, all me. Everywhere I looked, there was only me. I must be very big. I played alone for ages. It seemed like forever. And then I started to get lonely. I wanted someone else to play with, someone who wasn't me. So I took a deep breath, I gathered all my strength together, and I squeezed and I started to feel dizzy and it felt like I was falling. And then suddenly, in a big burst, I became something else. This was so much fun. I did it again and again. Lots of different ways. I do it all the time now. I can become all kinds of things. Things that grow and swim and crawl and fly and run. One day I tried extra hard. And then all of a sudden, I became you. What is this thing I'm in? Just one moment ago I was so big. And now I'm so little. It's like I'm all wrapped up in love. But as soon as I become you, you forget that you're me. In time, you forget all about me. Every so often, you wonder who you are. And I'm right here reminding you. I'm always busy now, cheering you on. I like it best when you discover me, and then we play together, you and I. And sometimes you realise that you are me. Sometimes you forget that everything else is me too. But even then, 
I still love you, little me. It's becoming me, a story of creation. Going to join us singing, and I have to admit, this is a hymn I've not sung before. That's exciting. Very exciting. Uh, which Michael has chosen, and it's um, from the Purple Book, and it's hymn number one A Core of Silence. children are off to have some exciting adventures. I hope, I hope, and we're going to sing you on your way. point of our theme talks and we've already reached the halfway point of our summer school so it's an important point it's a time of balance so many ideas have emerged so far in our conversations on the theme talks and yesterday a theme which was picked up concerned Yvonne's comments about reclaiming darkness for God this opened up a whole new and unexpected arena of what evil is how it is represented, 
and how we make sense of suffering. In any coming together of a beloved community, it is unsurprising that we find such a wealth of insight. So today, the third of our speakers, Michael, will take us further in our adventure and will help us to think beyond the concepts we have encountered so far and into the deep connection where the divine reality may be encountered. As our Minister of the Week, Michael is known to you all already. And so he needs no further introduction from me. I will check something, though. It, it has been suggested that you might want some light on. Yes. I wasn't too bothered for myself, but what do you think? Consensus? Yes. Or majority? Yes. Well, would somebody then juggle the light switches until you're all happy? Thanks, then. <laughs> I don't want to take responsibility for that. <laughs> Higher, lower. <laughs> Is the halo not shining? Sorry. <laughs> Are you all sitting comfortably? Good. And name it nothing, much less God. Might as well stop there. <laughs> Shortest theme talk on record. Or, I could quote the nameless individual who looked at that spinning globe on the silent auction table. You know the one? and pronounced it mysterious but useless, like God. <laughs> I could then conclude that any further exploration is therefore pointless, leave it at that, and again claim the record for the shortest theme talk. Or I could recount my dim memories from my studies of theology at Nottingham University when encountering the work of a theologian called Schleiermacher. And one of the bits I found myself wrestling with particularly was the bit where he says, it is impossible to say anything about God. So yet again, I could leave you with that thought and still claim the record, but I won't. What Schleiermacher was getting at was the proposition that God is so totally other than us, so other than our experience or our comprehension that there simply is no way that we can frame any meaningful thoughts about the divine or use any words or concepts that could express anything of God's reality. All we can in fact achieve is to speak of ourselves. Anything we did say would only represent the terms of our understanding and our perceptions. It would reflect us subjectively and not God objectively. Well, as far as the divine goes then, be silent. And we find an echo of this, it seems to be, in the commandment not to take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And in the Jewish tradition, quite ancient, of never speaking God's name, but using a range of other titles instead. And never writing the word in full, but missing out a letter and replacing it with a hyphen. Effectively, leaving a gap in the middle, as on the front of this book of poetry. Thank good for good. And there's a curious and appropriate irony about this book, in fact, um, which I only dare observe because the writer is a colleague and friend, Judy Campbell. 
It's called Thank Good for Good. It has a whole section of poems entitled Thank Good for Good. When I looked in that section for a poem called Thank Good for Good, there wasn't one. It was missing. Of course, there's no reason why Judy should have to name a section after a poem that's actually in it. But the fact that it's missing contributes to my thinking about the absence of God as a way of approaching this topic. But I'll get to that. Let's just look at that hyphen for a moment. It renders the word incomplete, creating a gap in the middle. But the meaning of the word hyphen leads us to a very different understanding of its work. It comes from the Greek word hufen, meaning together. And it's there to join things which would otherwise be separate, to link things together. The space marked by the hyphen, then, is a place of connection. I'm going to play for a while with the notions of absence and linking, of space and connection, in looking for ways to speak of that which has been felt, perceived, known, named as God. And I want to invite you into the freedom and the potential of some open space now to sit lightly upon that hyphen, perhaps, or to dwell within the unknown 100th name of Allah, or to inhabit what Yvonne's friend Joe Anderson described as the gap in the middle with no words. And in this open space, or these open spaces, I invite you, each of you, to call to mind whatever sense you have ever had of what might be called divine, whatever breath of spirit or inkling of soul, we may call it spirit or Christ, the oversoul, the Tao, the life force, or of course we may call it God, or various other things. Again, my thinking though is that if we stay on the level of what we have experienced, rather than what we might name it differently, then we have a chance of all knowing just what we mean. So I'm hoping and praying that you will, you will know perhaps what I mean when I'm talking about a momentary sense. Not necessarily of Almighty God, but of a dizzying realisation of depth and beauty, truth and meaning in your life. Some of you may remember the TV advert of some years ago that I can refer to when I liken this to the Condor moment. <laughs> While in a book on spirituality whose name I couldn't possibly say aloud to you, John Parkin gives this description of connecting with whatever it may be. He calls it energy. He says, first off, energy exists. It's not some esoteric idea. It exists and it is life. Energy is a moving, tingling, magnetic feeling force that moves through our bodies. Clearly what I'm getting at here then is the possibility of using a space to discover, or, or is it rediscover, a connection with the it of Lindy's hymn choice on Sunday morning. That which for you is the focus and the inspiration of your believing. So, here come some snatches of poetry with gaps in between. Like hyphens, 
in which you are invited to make and enjoy your spiritual connection. Be still and know. William Blake. To see a world in a grain of sun and heaven in a wild flower. Hold infinity in the palm of your hand and eternity in an hour. Joy Harjo. Wordsworth. And I have felt a presence that disturbs me with the joy of elevated thoughts. A sense sublime of something far more deeply interfused, whose dwelling is the light of setting suns and the round ocean and the living air, a motion and a spirit that impels all thinking things, all objects of all thought, and rolls through all things. R.S. Thomas. It was like the moor, the moor. It was like a church to me. I entered it on soft foot, breath held like a cap in the hand. It was quiet. What God was there made himself felt, not listened to. 
in clean colours that brought a moistening of the eye, in movement of the wind over grass. There were no prayers said, but stillness of the heart's passions, that was praise enough, and the mind's session of its kingdom. I walked on, simple and poor, while the air crumbled and broke upon me generously as bread. Anne Lewin. It is like watching for the kingfisher. All he can do is be there when he's likely to appear. And wait. Often nothing much happens. There is space, silence, and expectancy. No visible sign, only the knowledge that he's been there may come again. Seeing or not seeing ceases to matter. You have been prepared. But sometimes, when you've almost stopped expecting it, a flash of brightness gives encouragement. Be still and know. So, what was going on there, perhaps, for you as individuals, for us as a group, as a deepening community? Well, it was an attempt to illustrate through experience the waiting silence. The practice of open expectancy, seeking to welcome whatever we seek to welcome. An opportunity for you to make and relish the connection, but with what? I guess it was a predictable kind of sequence for me to plan. The sort of thing you would assume and, and may well be used to in your own settings for worship and reflection. But I want to make a case that a similar, or maybe the same, deep connection can happen between people outside of worship and reflection too. In a book which I enjoy going back to frequently, Jeanne Nervillard, it's called The Gift of Faith, says this. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Well, whether it be in Jesus' name or not, where two or three gather in the name of religiousness, in the name of spirituality, in the name of holiness, a sacred spark, a living flame will be a light in their midst. Where two or three are gathered, not simply as a congenial group, not in a shallow encounter of half-truths and mask-wearing and game-playing, 
revealing only the most pleasing aspects of the self. No, where two or three are gathered in all the honesty, depth and beauty of the truest self, and with such integrity and wholeness, there is the religious moment. There is the religious place. Well, that's what she says. And you may say, that still could sound like a gathering for meditation. So, here's a thought from Jean Shinoda Bolan. One of the strongest places where I find soul is in the presence of other people whom I meet at soul level. It happens whenever a dialogue takes place in which both people are truly present. Tuning in to really hearing one another and reflecting back. A sense of discovery occurs as when musicians get together and improvise a musical dialogue, a dialogue that depends on letting go of ego and defences. To voice something you're feeling and put observations into words with another person who is totally present is a creative act, embodying soul and love. What I'm reaching for here is the notion that when people truly meet, opening and welcoming, listening and hearing, understanding and caring, then there can be, and in my experience often is, that same sense of connection. That same tense taste of the moving, tingling, magnetic feeling force that John Parkin described. And not only do people meet, but something additional happens. It's all about relationship, you see. Martin Buber developed the term I-thou. I-thou. To describe this relationship as an intuition of ultimate interdependency. He speaks of the eternal middle. The sphere of between. In which the living relationship is found. And this sphere is conceptually incomprehensible because it's neither idea nor concept. Rather, it is something living. So, Buber locates, rather than trying to define, pointing toward the event and the experience of the I-Thou encounter, rather than characterising the particular beings who meet. The sphere includes more than those who meet. It contains the new creation that occurred when they met. It is the meeting that is the point, the encounter that is the moment of creation, the divine spark leaping out when the connection is made. Aha! So here's something different. Notice the divine spark leaping out when the human connection is made. The act of connecting with one another brings the divine into the moment. The dynamic is different. The process has changed. In other words, a meaningful conversation in which individuals honestly engage with one another in that respecting and caring I-thou connection, that is a location where the divine energy may be engendered. Not discovered. Engendered. In the risk and in the thrill of acknowledging difference, of exploring diversity and developing dialogue, and again, in terms of feeling that moving, tingling, magnetic feeling force, I can attest to the truth of this from my own experience, which others will confirm, 
of genuine connection between people in my two ministries. By the by, but quite importantly, the question is raised about us. Having hobbled ourselves with the freedom to be diverse, so that there are so many ideas about God that we have practically no idea at all, having seized the prize of religious freedom, what do we now do with it? Well, the answer from me is that we don't practice religion anymore. We practice mature, exploring, dialoguing community. The dynamic whereby a central syllabus of concepts and beliefs is asserted and agreed has been replaced by the act and discipline of making connection with one another and our differences, exploring and nurturing one another's humanity through open-hearted conversation, through compassionate connection with one another. In this way, we celebrate the enrichment and the deepening of diversity and at the same time, create the dynamic which is the very spark of the divine presence between us and among us. Some words around that, maybe moving it forward slightly, come from Anne Fields, who was UUA Children's Programs Director. I have difficulty using God as a noun, for I was once taught that a noun must point to something person, place, or thing. A noun must denote, define, delimit. It has a static quality which does not fit my God consciousness. To me, she says, God is a verb. Or to use a metaphor of punctuation, God is not a full stop, but a question mark. Or an exclamation mark. God is not the answer to the mystery of life but the acknowledgement of the mystery. Unlike the deity of most traditions, my God, she says, is not eternal, but emergent. That process of continuous creation, which is the cosmic drama. Each of us is a participant, playing a bit part, improvising, responding to others, inventing the action from moment to moment. God, in my metaphor is neither the author nor the stage manager, but the energy of the actors in the dialogue. God is the creative interchange, in the words of Henry Nielsen Riemann. The process by which we listen to one another and learn from one another and arrive at new levels of spiritual awareness as a result. that text as a celebration of what I think we are, where I think we have carried the torch from our forebears, and also as a return to my thread about connection. Where are we up to so far? We talked about, sorry, I talked about, you may have thought about, <laughs> connecting in that true dialogue, that I-thou. And before that, I talked about connecting in reflective space. But I didn't really. Let's think back to that poetic interlude for a moment and check what was really going on there. The first thought may have been, in terms of connection, that we were seeking to connect with the divine in those gaps, in those spaces. But now, I've introduced a different thought, that connection is the human act 
which makes it possible for the divine to be present at all. What then was the connection in that poetic sequence? We opened ourselves to the thought of, the possibility of, the images of a transcendent reality. And it was through our making connection with those thoughts, engaging with them in our own understanding and imagination, that it became possible for there to be a sense of the presence of what may be called asterisk. So where we're up to is we can connect with thoughts, with concepts, with images, and thereby engender the divine spark. We can connect with one another in either our relationship and thereby engender the divine spark. This connecting thing goes wider still. We have the capacity to connect, really connect, with all manner of things around us, with the emotional world, the natural world, the awesomeness of the universe, the marvel of human science and reason, the glories of human creativity. To be moved to tears and wonder. Yes, and to feel that same moving, tingling, magnetic feeling force, which Yvonne referred to yesterday as... The divine as an experience I am having. My sense of connecting out there. At this point, I must quickly deal with, I feel I must, something that Mel may now have made a note about. Something she raised as a major anxiety in the theme talk discussion earlier in the week. The danger of misappropriation. She may already be planning to have a go at me this afternoon. I don't know, so I'm hoping to head that off now. <laughs> what, or maybe not. What misappropriation means effectively is annexing someone else's perceptions and ideas by translating them into your own understanding. Oh, which, of course, being your own, is the correct interpretation of facts. You may think this is the case, but I realise what you really mean is it's a shallow and patronising approach to the world view of others, which, an example of which you find in the world of religious relations, might be the hidden Christ. Putting it crudely, Hindus may talk about Krishna, Muslims about Muhammad, Sikhs about Guru Nanak, but what they don't realise is they're really talking about Jesus. They don't realise it. So whatever they think, <laughs> whatever they think they're believing in, they will be saved in the end, because really they're Christians. Similarly and comfortingly, we are all being saved because the Mormons are baptising all of us. Yeah. Now, I'm not sure how far they've got through the alphabet. I think, Yvonne, you're okay. D, I think I'm okay, but Rita, I'm a bit worried about Rita. W. A long way down the road. I'm not... I'm not suggesting something that is misappropriation. I'm not suggesting that whenever any human being has that thrilling experience of connection that they really ought to realise they're encountering the presence of God. That's not my concern. When I suggest that in any moment of connection we're likely to experience that dizzy joy or realisation or meaning or whatever and then name it God or whatever... Let me also be at pains to suggest that while the experience may indeed be accessible to all, the naming of it is entirely the choice of the individual. For me, it doesn't matter who calls it God and who doesn't. I'm not at all sure that I do, for goodness sake. 
I want to believe that I could sit down beside the oft-mentioned Richard Dawkins, looking together in awe at the workings of the universe. That we could sit there together and say in unison, wow. And be happy to stay in the wow moment together. Naming it nothing, much less God. It's the moment that matters, not the labelling of it. We may go on then to have a wonderful, enriching, enlightening conversation about how that moment feels. What it does for us in our living and thinking and feeling. Unless and until we start trying to identify it and explain it. So all in all then, I am making an appeal to the possibility... Bless you. The possibility... Bless you. (laughs) We can keep this going, it's alright. I'm making an appeal to the possibility of any moment of deep connection being the trigger for the experience of that which those of a spiritual bent may well refer to as some kind of divine presence, but which those not of a spiritual bent will handle differently. Time for a pause from thought. Because I hope I'm appealing to the sensed and the experiential this morning, as well as the rational and conceptual, I'm going to invite you to explore the notion of the moment through song now. A song which picks up the image that Yvonne used yesterday. See, I have been listening. The image of the light that shines through time. It's on these sheets what I prepared earlier. So I'm going to invite... Would you dish some of these out around this It's on one side or the other. It's called In the Moment. Um, I'm going to ask Sheila just to play the whole through a few times now while the sheets come around, and then we will see. I'll explain more when we're ready. Just play that the the verse a couple of times. Again, I think, if you will, Sheila. Now, it's been referred to already this week that if we're busy singing a tune we're not sure about, we don't take the words in properly, so I'm going to ask you not to sing the verses only the refrain. I'll sing the verse for you so that you can take the words in a bit more clearly than if you were struggling through it. So all we've got to do now is learn the refrain, which went Take a moment and know this moment is home. If you play me into the, the, the final refrain there. Give me the note. The refrain. Take the refrain. Third line. That's it. There you go. Most of those notes were right. Take a moment and know this moment is all. Twice more. Take a moment and know this moment is all. 
going to get that out of your sight. I'm not performing this to you. I'm supporting you as you hear and think and reflect upon it, and we will sing the refrains. There'll be a pause in between each verse for you to think and digest. Space to connect. Yesterday, 
all my trouble. No. <laughs> Mel closed the session with an appeal for a theology which allows God to be both present and absent. So let me close with the notion that God is absent. And possibly, in some way, I can't get my head round non-existent, except in the moments of connection when we spark the presence. When we connect, and while we are connected, in whatever way, with whatever, then the something that we call whatever, and others don't, can be experienced. But then our awareness stutters, the divine spark flickers, and we return to our more normal, limited perceptions, seeing only partially, through a glass darkly. As the connection is lost, so is the engendered presence of the divine, and it can only be held in sensory memory until a new connection occurs. So what becomes of God then? I'm really uneasy about the notion of an ever-present God whose role is to hang about in some ghostly fashion, wishing to be recognised and invoked. They never call, they never write. <laughs> or to sit in the pulpit, scratching his beard, waiting for his turn to speak. I've been there, done that. <laughs> I haven't got the t-shirt. What other image might there be? Well, I'll dig back into my life experience for this one. When I first took up Morris dancing, <laughs> I was with a team of some reasonable repute in Bournemouth. They were called Bourne River Morris. They still are. And though I say it myself, when we stirred ourselves, we could deliver a performance of some energy and passion. However... Our normal reputation was of being so laid back that we were practically horizontal. Not necessarily due to the beer. But at one point, someone coined the phrase that Bourne River were like a coiled spring, just waiting to be coiled. <laughs> of course, a spring that's not coiled is not a spring at all is an absent God, a God at all. I humbly suggest that we are free. Living our lives independently in the absence of the divine, but free to light the spark of that presence, to make it happen when and whenever we enter the moment of miracle, the moment of connection. It's up to us to make it happen. I've used the terminology of the spark and the flame on several occasions, which is handy, isn't it? We use a flame when we gather to signal our readiness to connect with a speaker, with a song, with new ideas, with a piece of music, with one another. That flame doesn't exist without the connections, physical, chemical, connections which are made in order to bring it into being. We make it happen.
Oh ye. <laughs> I was going a bit. <laughs> I am the source. I dream the dreams. I am the spark. Creation is in me. Creation is in me. I am the source. I dream the dreams. I am the spark. Creation is in me. Creation is in me. We'll do that again in just a second. I invite you to clamber aboard if you want to. As our closing song. But we make this happen. It's my thesis. Time and time again. We can make this happen. Jubilantly. In celebration. In dialogue. In love. In patience. In our lives. I am the source. I dream the dreams, I am the spark. Creation is in me, creation is in me. I am the source, I dream the dreams, I am the spark. Creation is in me. once said, only connect. time to share with other people in whatever way you want and if you don't want to share, to have some time to allow all those things to come into your awareness and being. So, some time until 10 o'clock.
When um, attending to the themes which Michael was bringing to this week, I felt that today was a good point at which to kind of, well, the phrase we use at work is, is to take a riff on that. You know, I don't really know music, but that's the, like the idea, the way of thinking. And to introduce some of my thoughts about dialogue as a specific concept, as, you know, what is dialogue? And it, my interest in this specifically stems from my interest in interfaith dialogue, so dialogue between people who have fundamentally different ideas about God, religion, the way the world works. And many of you have heard me share my reflections on this over several years, and I make no apology for returning to those ideas now, because they're close to my heart now. They resonate now. We have spoken of God. When and how do we listen to God? So, some small context. My interest over the last many years has been about how Muslims and Christians are in dialogue with one another. What it means for them to be in dialogue. It's not been a theological study. It's not what I do. It's been an anthropological study, which means I've been looking at what actually people say, what people actually believe. People in a particular neighbourhood, people who get on with their daily lives as um, bus drivers, and I'm trying to think of the people I interviewed, bus drivers and taxi drivers and people who work in industry, but who identify with a specific faith. How do they make sense of the reality of somebody else's faith? I was interested in that rather than what I consider to be the fairly well-worn theological discussions about interfaith dialogue. Much of what interfaith is, in terms of how it's written and spoke of, focuses on ideas and philosophical questions. I'm more interested in what is actually happening when people are in dialogue. Much of the reading, observation and thought, which was part of that, that research, informed my own growing awareness of what dialogue actually means at a personal and spiritual level. And one feature of this is listening to God through dialogue. I am not in any way original in this. My, my take on it is original, clearly. But <laughs> I'm not original in this particular um, perspective. Peter Hawkins, who I'm sure some of you have come across before, um, in the book Being Together, writes, To listen to God, we have to listen not only to our own inner voice, not only empathetically to others, but also to the spaces between us. To listen for what is trying to emerge in the flow of conversation between us, which is originated by no one, and yet can illumine all parties. True dialogue is more than conversation. It is full involvement at a deep level. It is complete engagement. It involves openness to the other, whether that is the other person, the other concept, the other experience, or the divine other. As Michael pointed out, dialogue is a term used in a variety of fields to refer to the way two or more things are brought into relation to one another, not just to how two people talk to one, one another. I'm sure Nancy's in her 
life as an actor has come across the idea of the play and the audience being in dialogue with one another. And I think that's an interesting way of thinking more about what it means, what dialogue means. Dialogue involves listening, but it also involves investment. Interfaith dialogue, as we meet it in our communities, I know lots of you here are involved in interfaith activity in your local communities. Those things can be all sorts of activity, all sorts of meaningful time. But those activities truly become dialogue at the point where individuals experience each other at a deep and meaningful level. One of my absolute favourite writers on interfaith dialogue, though I don't agree with him on everything, is a Jesuit called Michael Barnes. And he writes, Paradoxically, perhaps... The truly universal experience in interfaith dialogue is of that moment of disruption or surprise before the other, which at certain moments in time reveals my own perplexity or incompleteness. Paradoxically, perhaps, the truly universal experience in interfaith dialogue is of that moment of disruption or surprise before the other, which at certain moments in time reveal my own perplexity or incompleteness. Barnes notes the completely personal and challenging nature of opening oneself up to the religiously other. For him, in dialogue, we are open to the other shattering the self. The other person's ideas of God challenge our own understanding of God. The other person's experience of life challenges our own experience of life. And when we realise how different other lives are, other thoughts, other experiences, we realise more fully what our life is like. Now for Barnes, this shattering is not a negative event. He uses the French word éclaté, which implies something sparkling and beautiful. A firework, perhaps. Being in dialogue is therefore risky. It is more than swapping stories. Bill Darlison described church as where we come to share our stories. And I'd want to underline this by saying this is no reduction of what church is for. This is no reduction of what church is for. In sharing our stories, we share of ourselves, we open ourselves to the stories of others, and we have that rare and beautiful opportunity, as Michael so well talked about, to explore anew who it is that we are, what it is, in fact, that we know, experience, and believe about the divine. Our speaking to and sharing with others about our sense of God gives us one of the most important ways to develop our own understanding. To be in dialogue with another person, to be open to their stories and to the differences between us, opens us up to awareness of God. Gives us space to hear God. To return to that quote from Peter Hawkins, to listen to God, we have to listen not only to our inner voice, not only empathetically to others, but also to the spaces between us. To listen for what is trying to emerge in the flow of conversation between us, which is originated by no one 
and yet can illumine all parties. There is a tension in all religious traditions between being alone to find God, as in Hindu, Buddhist, Christian, other monastic traditions, and being with others to find God. In Islam, for instance, the concept of monasticism is completely unacceptable. To be a true Muslim means to live a Muslim life with others, in family, in communal prayer, not to shut oneself off from the hurly-burly of real life. Unitarianism is, by and large, a communal faith. We make sense of our Unitarian identity and of our theological language, of our sense of God, by communicating with others. But this communal nature is not purely about sociability or friendship. It's not purely swapping stories and ideas, though those are all so important to who we are. It's also, in my opinion, intrinsic to the theology of the grassroots, the theology of the congregation, the theology of the people who get on with it. People often feel that in their congregations they come closer to knowing God than they could alone. God may be absent in name, but present in spirit, in the gaps in conversation, in the eyes of the other people, in the experience of shared yearning. God is in the silence at the end of a beautiful piece of music or writing. This is not, however, some form of silent agnosticism. We are not, on the whole, sitting in silence, writing our shopping lists. This is an active, listening silence. We experience something greater when we are together. Unitarians may be coy about naming that other, or about allowing it to be supernatural. But I think very few would deny it. Because actually we experience it when we come face to face with another person. When we allow our sense of self to be challenged in an environment of love, care and shared yearning. Amen. So let us end with a few moments of stillness. A few moments to let our thoughts settle. So many questions and ideas. Sit easy with it. Let your concerns and questions and ideas bubble. And do not be afraid of sharing those bubbles with others.